Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special bonus episode of How Is This Movie? My name is Dana Buckler, and thank you for taking just a little time out of your day to listen. Now, be sure to follow us on Twitter at How Is This Movie. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash movie. You can reach out to me directly at hitmpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please take time and leave us a review on either iTunes or on Stitcher. And today's episode, we are joined by Andrew Jubin, one of the co-hosts of my all-time favorite podcast, We Hate Movies. Now, Andrew was kind enough to spare a little time out of his incredibly busy schedule. Just uh, spend about an hour with me, and we're going to talk about a little bit of everything, including the history of We Hate Movies, what he does for a day job. We're going to break down five specific episodes from the We Hate Movies catalog. These are five episodes that I, I wanted to spend just a little more time, you know, hearing his thoughts on how they were chosen and, you know, what he still thinks about the films after the episodes have been recorded. We then get into a very interesting conversation where we go all over the place when we look, kind of looking at the state of film. I think you're going to be a little surprised by where some of that conversation goes, and I will was, uh, again, and you'll hear me say this during the interview, I was beyond honor that he was able to spare some time and, and talk to me. As some of you know, longtime listeners know, We Hate Movies, the podcast, was not only the first podcast that I ever listened to, it was sort of my introduction to the whole field of podcasting, but I think most importantly inspired me to want to do a podcast. And so here we are, you know, 50 plus episodes in, and as I mentioned towards the end of the interview, I've come full circle. I am now interviewing the host of the show that inspired me to want to do a podcast. So enough of me just rambling here. Let's talk to Andrew Jubin. Andrew Jubin, welcome to How Is This Movie? How are you today? Good, Dana. Thanks for having me. I cannot begin to tell you how happy I am to have you on the show. I got a lot of things I want to ask you, so I think we should just go ahead and get started right away. First question I have... It pertains to the history of We Hate Movies. Where did the idea come from? I guess whatever it was five years ago. Um, back then, Chris and Eric and Steve were all living together, uh, but we lived in the same neighborhood in in New York, and uh, I would go over there quite a bit to watch movies. And um, I'd been kind of thinking about whatever my next uh, comedy project would be. And, you know, we would just sit around and we would watch movies and kind of, you know, just make fun of them sort of like we do now on the show. And one day I said, you know, we could probably record this and, you know, there's a slim chance it might be a little funny uh, and then maybe we could do something with it. So it sort of started there. Um, and then, you know, just kind of really all kind of happened by accident. You said five years ago. So did you launch the podcast in 2010? Yeah, I think it, uh, I guess you could say like December-ish 2010. Let's talk about that just for a moment, because we live in, there's an explosion of podcasts. Everybody's doing podcasts now. You got in kind of what I like to say, not at the ground floor, because I know podcasts originate going all the way back to 2004, but you, right. got, you got in at a time when, you know, not everybody was doing it. So where did you start? Like, you said, okay, let's record an episode. W what point did you say, okay, this is going to be a podcast and we're going to put it on iTunes? From the second we recorded, I knew it was going to be a podcast. That's what I kind of wanted it to be. But I really had no idea how to do anything related to a podcast. I'd listened to podcasts before, uh, but listening was kind of the extent that it went to. So, you know, I'm kind of a low-level 
tech savvy guy so i you know figured out how to record everything and then um you know it took some time to figure out uh you know posting it and whatnot and that's why i said it was kind of by accident because the show really got started before we intended it to i posted an episode just to see really if everything sort of was in sync you know the rss feed to itunes and the the website and all that stuff and uh you know we just kind of posted this one thing and left it and then a couple weeks later eric uh cisco from the show said hey man you know we have like a ton of ratings and reviews from that episode saying you know that it's funny and they want more and i was just completely taken aback by that i didn't anticipate that happening so it really you know it really was a true accident when i say it was uh, not our intention to start the show the way it did but you know when when people go to your uh, website whmpodcast.com you have a directory of all the episodes that you've ever done except for the very first one can you talk just a little bit about wired and essentially what happened with that episode yeah yeah, um, you know, like I said, I was really uh, new to podcasting and editing and, and everything like that. And I think, oh, that was probably like a 40-minute episode or something like that. And, you know, for 40 minutes, it probably took me all around three hours or so to edit it. And I was really, you know, neurotic about, you know, every sort of word we used and sound that we made. And it took so long. And, uh, you know, the result was I, I really didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to engineer a show properly. So, you know, it was um, exported way too soft. Uh, you know, the editing was choppy and, and sloppy and everything. Um, and, you know, we kind of just said, hey, this really isn't the best. So we, we took it off the website because of because of that reason. Just, just for the record, does the recording still exist? Oh, it definitely exists. And it's still on the internet. I mean, people have found it and said as if, you know, I don't know where it is. Like, uh, you're like, oh, hey, man, you know, I discovered your pilot episode. And I'm like, I know, I just don't broadcast it, you know, to to its location. That's also why, you know, when we hit our 100th episode, we decided to go back and, and redo Wired on an episode we called Wired The Return, which was weird to do. I don't think we'd ever really try to do that again, um, you know, for fear of rehashing jokes and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, I mean, it's out there. If someone really, really, really wants to go find the pilot for We Hate Movies, you know, it's out there. Do what you want with it. Post it on YouTube. YouTube, but we don't care, but, uh, <laughs> It's just not, uh, it's not something we're particularly crazy about. And actually, the funny thing is, if I ever go back and listen to those really old We Hate Movies episodes, the real, you know, like the first year or so, it's almost kind of hard for me to, to do so just because I'm so critical about everything that I do. So I just listen to it and I just, I can't. I just cringe and frown and sometimes cry into my beer about it. But, you know, it, it is out there. It's still alive on the internet. You know, it's just not on whmpodcast.com. Eric tells you, hey, this, 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 show starting to blow up. It's it's getting very, very popular. It's getting tons of ratings. You immediately start to say to yourself and probably to the group, okay, we're going we're gonna to run with this. There had to have been a list of what I like to call the no-brainer films. I mean, were there a few movies that right away you knew were, you were going to do hands down? Uh, I guess yes and no, because we really didn't understand in in the early days anyway, what, you know, people have said, you know, would be our, you know, the We Hate Movies bread and butter, which I guess is, you know, 80s and 90s kind of nostalgia busters and, and things like that. So we had had this idea of, you know, well, we have just been sitting around for, you know, 
months and months and months watching these terrible movies. Uh, so we had them sort of stockpiled in our brain. And I think, you know, uh, like those early episodes that you you see that we made, uh, you know, I know that number one with a bullet right away was one that Eric was saying, you know, this would be a good thing to talk about. And, uh, you know, like Congo was another one that was right away like, well, that's a no brainer. Uh, that movie's ridiculous. You know, so there were there were a couple of those that really stood out, but we really didn't have anything lined up because we really didn't think we'd be doing a show of any kind. So speaking of things lined up, one of the things that I've, I've always noticed about your podcast is that the episodes, for the most part, are timeless. And by that, I mean, you don't really reference too many current events that are happening, maybe something that happened, you know, that week. So the question is, how far in advance do you have these episodes recorded for the most part? Uh, to that, I will say not in as, uh, not in as much advance as we'd like, uh, sometimes. Uh, it can really be a week to week thing. Um, you know, we at times have had, you know, a little bit of a buffer, uh, just cause we're all busy with day jobs and other projects and, and things like that like that. Um, so sometimes it really can get crazy trying to schedule guys to come over to my house and record an episode uh, on a weeknight. But, you know, generally it's a week out, two weeks out, something like that. Um, but we've always sort of intentionally not, you know, talked about current events or anything like that to, to any real length. Um, that's, you know, why we invented, invented, but we, you know, came up with the idea of like WHM on screen, which is kind of a more current events thing, stuff that we're watching or issues in, in film or television and things like that. Uh, but we really, you know, for the show, you know, what we, refer to as WHM Prime, like for the main feed show, you know, we always just wanted to make it about that movie and about the people in the movies and the people that made the movies uh, for, for that very reason to, you know, to make it something that folks can re-listen to. Like we sort of look at it as it's not exactly, you know, an episode of a radio show so much as it is, you know, you're getting a weekly 90 minute sort of like a in essence like a comedy album that just so happens to be centered around one particular movie most cases with most of the episodes it's yourself and two others you sort of have a rotating cast between uh steven eric and chris uh, how do you set that schedule? Is it just basically who's available or do you pretty much have that mapped out? Like, all right, we're going to do this movie. Steven, Chris, you're going to be with me on this one. How does that work out? Kind of both. Uh, we Hate Movies is very democratic um, in a way. Uh, you know, there will be episodes where, you know, Steve will have suggested a movie and he'll say, you know, look, this is a movie I think is an episode for sure. Also, I'd really like to be on this episode. And, you know, that's totally fine and nobody's going to really fight people on things like that uh also it's just kind of like availability you know um chris cabin uh he writes for uh slant magazine he's a film critic and tv critic for them and a lot of the times uh you know we'll just be ready to record something and chris may have to go attend a press screening the night that he's set to record so you know we'll have to have somebody slot in in his place uh you know which happens quite a bit you know he gets a lot of assignments and stuff like that so it's a mix of like people really wanting to be on an episode, you know, whether they chose the episode or chose the title, you know, or they just think it would be a cool episode to be on, you know, or it's just a matter of availability. If, you know, Eric's doing Blame It on Outer Space one week and he really has to record, you know, on the same night that uh, we happen to be laying down We Hate Movies, you know, we'll have to some sub somebody in. That's just kind of the way it rolls. How far back does your relationship go with these guys? Oh, quite a long ways. Um, I've known Chris the longest. Chris and I were friends uh, since high school, have been friends since high school school uh, and I met um, Eric and Steve at college Chris and I also wound up going to the same college together uh, he was a year ahead
ahead of the rest of us. And um, yeah, Steve and I lived across the hall from each other our freshman year. Eric and I were in the same uh, film studies program at school. And it's actually kind of where the genesis of us watching terrible things and making fun of it kind of came from. Steve and I would kind of host screenings of bad movies on our floor uh, and, you know, get everybody together and just kind of do sort of like a live riff of whatever we were watching, mainly Charles Bronson movies. You know, so I've, I've known them for, for quite a while. So I guess you could you could say we sort of have been doing this longer than the show's actually existed in a way. I'm going to come back to the show just for a moment, but I want to talk about Private Cabin for a moment. Sure. And if we could sort of uh, sort of wind the clock a little bit, because that that's something that's been around longer than we hate movies, correct? Private Cabin as it is now, yes, just a little bit longer. Uh, but us working in sketch comedy and stuff like that has been around for quite a long time, yeah. Uh, were all the guys original members of it? Uh, no. Back in, I got into the game with Steve back in 2004. We were in a sketch troupe called the Gas House Gorillas at school, which is a vague Looney Tunes reference. It was myself and Steve and, uh, Justin Case, who's been on the show quite a bit, he seems um, to be on the disaster episodes. If I if I remember correctly, the disaster. Movie <laughs> yeah, that's there. that's kind of an accidental thing. But then we just sort of decided to run with that. Um, so JJ was with us then, and um, for anyone who caught our uh, WHM Chicago show, uh, Adam Schumrich was the fourth member of that uh, original Gas House Gorillas lineup, and we started writing sketches and stuff then. And we had a bunch of uh, we were very and still are very obsessed with Mister show uh, with Bob and David and so we sort of decided to take their format for the shows that we did on campus so it was a mix of staged sketches and pre-recorded video things so at a point that's also where we met and started working with Sean Weiner who's been on a couple episodes who's now uh, you know the director at Private Cabin and he directed all of our video shorts that we would do today I was I was on the uh, the YouTube page for Private Cabin and I've, I've been watching those videos for quite a long time uh, for those who don't know, there is a treasure trove of Private Cabin short videos on there, and I'm going to put some links on the website once this episode is posted, so the listeners can certainly check some of them out. Uh, recently, you completed a film entitled We Are Strangers. Can you talk a little bit about where that idea came from and uh, what it took to sort of execute that plan? Uh, yeah. So, you know, all those videos that are on that YouTube channel, we'd been doing either web series or standalone videos for a number of years. And, you know, we got talking one day about could we sort of do what we do with, with the web series, uh, but make it into a movie of some kind. Um, and, you know, while all those web series and stuff were being made, uh, Steve and, and myself were also studying long-form improv at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater here in New York. So we kind of came up with this idea, you know, what if we sort of outlined, uh, you know, a story in, you know, pretty okay detail and tried to, you know, improvise it and see where that goes. So, you know, we kind of had this one idea for this short, like, 20-minute segment. And, um, you know, we just kind of went and we made the, the film is a, the film's like a triptych. And the first segment is the first thing we shot and it's like 25 minutes. And, uh, you know, we shot it all in a night. And, you know, by the end of that, Sean was kind of thinking, you know, well, the way this thing ends, you know, there's a phone call kind of at the beginning of it. What if we then went and heard, you know, who was on the other end of that phone call? Uh, so then we sort of got the idea for the second part. And then, you know, as that was coming together, we said, all right, well, this can definitely, we 
can see how these two pieces can sort of intersect into a third piece. And then the next thing we know, we sort of fell ass backwards into a feature film. So that was basically how it how it started and, and what it wound up being by the time we were done with it. Is the movie available? Is it on video demand or can people find it? Not just yet. That's something we're pretty close to working out. We sort of did the film festival thing for a bit. We got it to play here in the city uh, back in April and then um, sort of oddly just kind of let it sit for a while kind of on hard drives and stuff while we went and shot a second movie this summer. So now that that movie's done, we're kind of thinking about both and what we can do with them and, and things like that. So I would wager We Are Strangers will probably be available sometime this year on the internet. Uh, but it is not as of yet. Okay. Talk about your day job for a moment. What is the uh, the Jacob Burns Film Center? Uh, the Jacob Burns Film Center is a nonprofit film and education facility, which is located in a town called Pleasantville, nicely enough, uh, which is about um, 35 miles or so north of New York City proper. Um, and it's, it's a dual mission nonprofit. The uh, part that I work for is the film part of it. Uh, we have a three, soon to be five screen art house cinema and then across the street we have what's called the media arts lab which is a film and education center where we teach production classes and storytelling classes to people of all ages literally from third grade up to you know senior citizens uh and i work in the programming department so i watch a lot of movies and figure out what uh you know what we're going to play at the burns and we have specialty series and retrospectives and things like that so how long have you been there Ooh, i have been there since october of 2006 okay so have have you seen just technology itself change as far as was it all film projectors when you were on board there? Is it all digital projectors now? I mean, what, how has things, how has the landscape changed as far as how you show the films there? Oh, it's changed uh, immensely. But part of the thing that's important to the Burns is as much as stuff changes, we make sure that some things still stay the same. So, you know, the Burns mainly does run digital now, uh, but three of our soon-to-be-five theaters will always be equipped to run 35mm and 16mm film. Uh, that's something that's very important to us, that we keep that legacy going. And, you know, we have functioning projectors uh, that can still roll film, you know, whenever the whenever the need should arise. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the digital thing is a, it's a big reality, and it's something that we sort of embraced uh, whole hog a couple of years ago uh, when we installed the the DCP projectors and things like that. So, you know, it's something that's always evolving, but, uh, you know, there is this, you know, century-old legacy that it's very important to us that we sort of keep afloat and try to champion whenever we can. When you were a projectionist, it was it was all film, was it Was it not? This is going back to you, when you worked at the multiplex years ago. Yeah, yeah, that, that multiplex that I talk about quite a bit on the show, bit, someone yeah. mentioned to me the other day. Yeah, no, back when, uh, when I learned to be a projectionist, I was, I guess, summer of 2000, something like that. Uh, it was all film. It was a 10 screen multiplex with 10 35 millimeter projectors. And that's what you had to, you literally, the films would come in cans and you would have to piece them together. Yeah, they would come in two to three really heavy cans, depending upon how long the movie was. And then, uh, you know, it was my job, along with the other projectionists, to splice all the reels together on a platter system uh, and, you know, roll them roll now, them out. This would mean, of course, that you would have to test the films. Would you not have to, like, at the end, like, I imagine, I'm just, again, I'm just thinking hypothetically here, I've never been a projectionist, but so the films come in, they're assembled Thursday night for a Friday premiere. Mm -hmm. Do you have to watch the film to make sure that everything is put together correctly? Yeah, you had to run all the prints every last one of them to make sure that you know your splices were okay and this was also still you had to splice you know things like ads and trailers onto them and stuff like that too so you 
had to make sure all your work was cut right and everything and that the print was okay and it didn't come to you pre-messed up in any way. So yeah, you had to roll roll down uh, every single one of the prints that came in. So that could have been a bit of a bonus, however, though. Like you, you got to watch a lot of film. Not necessarily always good films, but a lot of film. I got to watch a lot of stuff for free. And yeah, most of the time it was, um, you know, it was, it was a standard big blockbuster multiplex. So most of the time it was uh, bad outweighing good. But uh, yeah, no, I got to watch quite a bit of stuff. That's why I think I may have the strongest record of I saw that in theaters over my three co-hosts. Is there one film in particular that you can recall from your time as a projectionist at the multiplex that it was just as bad as you've ever seen? And maybe it was it was poised to be the next big blockbuster. And you knew before the rest of the world that this is just an awful, awful film. I don't know about poised to be the next big blockbuster, but I have a very strong memory of being in the theater when that last Star Trek The Next Generation movie came out. And, you know, I was a huge, still am a huge Star Trek fan. At the time, I was, you know, in high school and kind of too cool for school. So I was sort of, I spent my high school years being like a closeted Star Trek fan. Uh, so I sort of was secretly excited to watch this movie. And I remember watching it and just being like, man, maybe all those people that uh, bust your chops about this are right. Because uh, that movie was just horrendous and embarrassing for, you know, all, all parties involved. And I just remember thinking like, man, I don't know if anything, you know, I don't, I don't know if this franchise can bounce back from something like this. Okay, well, uh, well I'm going to hold your, uh, hold the question. I'm going to actually ask you a little later on about the uh, the new, the, 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 the reboots, if you will. But I'm going to hold that question for just a minute. Coming back to um, to We Hate Movies for a moment, you interviewed Stephen Tobolowsky, and yes. that episode is is goes down as one of my favorites because I, of course, a big fan of the Tobolowsky files. And but to hear him talk in more in depth about particular films that he was in was outstanding. How did you arrange that interview? How did that come to be? Well, the Tobolowsky files was one of the things you know we listened to. Uh, you know, that kind of got us inspired to do We Hate Movies. We always say that Stephen's show was. You know, one of our biggest influences, uh, just because we were all obsessed with it. We still are. And the cool thing was we just kind of asked him. Eric set it up, I believe. I think it was through Facebook or maybe his Gmail or something like that. And uh, he agreed to do it. And the whole intention of it was because we had just done Deadlock, a.k.a. Wedlock, uh, which is a terrible Rucker Hauer movie that he's in. I think Mimi Rogers is also in that movie, uh, and he plays this like sadistic prison warden. And, uh, you know, we thought, man, how cool would it be to get Tobo on the show? And Eric just kind of shot in the dark emailed and he agreed and so you know the intention of it was to come on and talk about wedlock deadlock which we did um but then the conversation took this really awesome turn that we totally didn't expect where it was steven talking about you know why after a movie like that he is very careful about playing like too sinister of a villain because it really was disturbing to him and it just went into this deep you know tobolowski files type place that we hate movies has no business going so it was like it was really special and you know he had just come back from traveling somewhere and uh you know we figured it would be a thing where we got you know a half an hour with him or something like that and you know he would button up and and cut off the call but we talked to him and he talked to us for like 90 minutes or something like that and was just the absolute sweetest guy so it was it was a really cool thing for us and that was you know the show was in its really early on 
stages then. So it was like a really big feather in our cap to have this guy who influenced what we do, you know, come on our show. Looking back on every episode that you've done, are there a few that are personal favorites of yours? Oh man, personal favorites of mine. Yeah. Um, I guess there are here and there. It's, there's definitely, you know, I know the ones that I probably won't go back to, but you know, there's ones that I think kind of stick out to me for one reason or another. Like I know, um, I guess something really early on like something like K9 uh, and The Hand just because they sort of you know gave birth to what turned out to be some popular character voices uh, we do uh, so you know you have to be you have to be sort of grateful for for things like that um, and then you know there's really just the super awesome finds uh, like I know Hider in the House it's a Gary Busey movie that we did quite a while back that was during a listener request month and what was cool to me about that was you know not not that any of us pretend like we know every movie ever but you know none of us had heard of this movie and it was such a treat to have someone call in and say hey man like you guys have to do this movie it's totally crazy and uh you know it wound up being you know a really popular episode and we got a lot of really great comedy out of it uh and that was one of the first instances instances of really great audience interaction with us which is something that's you know become incredibly important for us uh so hider in the house definitely stands out as as one of those and honestly also something like like Star Trek Insurrection or uh, like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or Ghostbusters 2, you know, these episodes where it's like, it's me sort of facing my childhood or these guys, you know, on the show facing their childhood and sort of like reevaluating things from afar. Those are always kind of fun and eye-opening too. When I mentioned in an episode earlier uh, this year, I said that I can't wait for Tuesday at midnight to come so, uh, you know, your new episode drops. There's been a couple times in the in the years that I've been listening where I had that eye-opening moment when the title popped up onto the, my iPad. And a couple in particular would be Mrs. Doubtfire and mm-hmm. The Running Man. Of course, when I listen to the Mrs. Doubtfire episode, of course, I see that movie in a whole new light now. Of course, that's one of those ones that's I'm 36 years old and I remember the early 90s when that film came out and that was, I just thought the funniest movie ever. But as I'm older now, looking at the film, especially after listening to your episode, I seat in a different way who came up with that and was there any anyone in the group that said you know what maybe we shouldn't do this film i don't remember who suggested it but i will say that if anyone had flat out said i don't want to do this episode or i don't think that this movie is an episode uh we wouldn't have done it because um yeah i mentioned before we hit movies is very democratic one of our things is if someone suggests a film and someone is you're feeling very strongly that it will not make an episode or you know be episode worthy uh, we just drop it and that's, that's the end of it. And that's just always the way we've operated. And, uh, you know, what I'll, what I'll say about the hesitancy for Mrs. Doubtfire was something that we were also hesitant about earlier on with a film we did, uh, the episode on Cocoon. Cause Cocoon, we knew, you know, it's a very beloved movie and people look back on it fondly and, and things like that. But, you know, we kind of said, listen, there's still some fun to be had with this movie. Um, and I think the same is true for, for Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, if Mrs. Doubtfire is on cable on a Sunday afternoon and, you know, I'm kind of sitting on the couch with nothing to do, I'll watch Mrs. Doubtfire. I don't have anything against Mrs. Doubtfire necessarily. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's a comedy show and we're just using these things as an excuse to make jokes and do a bunch of voices and try to 
you know, make each other laugh. That's always the intention of We Hate Movies, you know, well, more than, you know, it's not fun for us to do. It's pointless to be doing sure, it. Sure, sure. And I want to, I want to make sure that it's clear and for the record that the Mrs. Doubtfire episode is amongst, I think, the funniest episodes you've done. I, I've, <laughs> I've never laughed so hard in my life. Like I said, I, I certainly watch that movie in a different perspective now. Right. But, but again, and this is me going back to my childhood growing up in the 80s, when I saw The Running Man pop up there, now that actually, I, I, I got delighted. And I, because a lot of times the films, and I've said before, sometimes it's a film I haven't heard of, and I'll, 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 I'll seek the film out before I, before I listen to your show, just because I really want to understand where, where you guys are coming from. But when the Running Man episode popped up, I work a nine to five job, and I stayed up midnight till, I don't know, two in the morning listening to that episode. Now, <laughs> who, who comes up with The Running Man? And I mean, Arnold's got a treasure trove of, of films and The Running Man just seemed like just an amazing choice. That one I do remember was Eric because Eric is sort of our Arnoldologist, I guess you could call him. He's the biggest Arnold fan. But the reason why we wanted to do something like The Running Man is because it's a movie we all really genuinely like. Yes, it's a silly sci-fi action movie, but we think it's a well-done silly sci-fi action movie. And that was one of those instances where we were saying, you know, both from what we were feeling at the time making the show and also some stuff that we'd be been seeing online, this idea of like there's way too much venom and vitriol in some of these episodes. And we thought, you know, there's there's got to be a way that we can show people that we're okay with, you know, sort of having fun with ourselves and having fun with stuff that we like. You know, why not take a movie that we all genuinely like and just kind of make fun of it? Because, you know, again, it's a comedy show. You know, we're not trying to be the definitive answer to whether or not a movie is good um so that's that's why it was important to do something like the running man and it turned out to be a really fun time just making fun of a silly movie that we all like a lot you know at the end of the day it's, it's just all movies you know it's cool well that brings me to a whole segment here that i'm gonna have and it's i'm calling it the the whm episode breakdown okay <laughs> There are five episodes that are have really stuck out to me, and again, I'm I'm, I'm fluent in your entire catalog. I mean, I know them all, but I wanted you to spend just a, a couple minutes on each of these five films, and I want to start with the very first episode of We Hate Movies that I've ever listened ever listened to was the Jaws: The Revenge episode. Okay, now I still I, I can't even listen to it when I'm driving, and I've said that before. It's it's <laughs> just that funny. You're be- between the Michael Caine voices and the uh, uh, Mario Van Peebles impressions are just out of control. What are your thoughts on, first of all, the original Jaws, I'm sure you will agree, is a masterpiece. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on not just Jaws the Revenge, but what happened to that franchise? Oh, man, what happened to that franchise is that they made it a franchise. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the straight answer to that, man. I mean, that is a movie that does not require a sequel of any kind. And, uh, you know, they made that second one, and that second one's kind of like just a bad horror movie, kind of. Um, and then it just gets dumber from there. Uh, it really, that's, I think, the simplest explanation is it's a movie that clearly did not warrant any sequel. They got greedy with that second one, and they just got really stupid and gimmicky with the other two. A satisfactory answer. Believe me, I like that. <laughs> uh, the next one I want to talk about is Batman Forever. And and you made a point of saying this at the beginning of the episode, that you know the easy way to go with the early Batman films would have been the 1997 Batman and Robin. Right. But I think you surprised a lot of people, not just by doing Batman Forever, but positing that Batman and Robin is the better 
better movie. Uh, yeah, the thing about that was, you know, one with with regard to you know Batman and Robin, it was it's been done. You know, we said we said this on on the show, but there are other outlets out there on the internet where you can hear people talk about bad movies and write about bad movies and people make videos about bad movies um, and that's just something that's kind of been done to death like everybody knows that that movie is a bad movie you know one of the things that I think makes Batman Forever sort of the bigger disaster is that's a movie that takes itself way more seriously than it has any business being and that's kind of always where your biggest failure lies when you don't know what exactly it is you have on your hands and you know the thing that really cemented it for me was I went to watch it for the show still sort of not knowing if we were making the right right call and I went to put it on and was talking about it with my wife and I was saying you know you know it's 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 going to be fine like this episode will be okay you know but it's it's crazy because uh Jim Carrey's so good in this movie and Tommy Lee Jones is so good in this movie and she was looking at me like what are you fucking stupid like <laughs> and I was like what are, no no what are you talking about and then we watched the movie and I was like oh man this is clearly a case of like looking back over my childhood with my collection of McDonald's you know glass mugs and and whatnot and just like totally misremembering or you know having the false child memory of like this being entertaining i had not seen that movie in probably over 10 years uh so you know that was when i knew like okay that's that's the angle to take this is that while batman and robin knows that it's a dumb movie and it knows the jokes and it knows the nipples that are there and the bat suit and everything like that batman and forever is a movie that you know was still kind of lingering in the burton realm a little bit and didn't not all parts of that movie are embracing how silly it is like really you only have tommy lee jones and jim carrey embracing how dumb that movie is when everyone else is treating it like it's a dark serious brooding batman movie uh and that's that's why it's just it's a train wreck in in our opinion uh let me ask you this uh just sticking in the batman universe for just a moment uh your thoughts on batman 89 versus uh 1991's batman returns you know the funny thing is i rewatched both quite recently uh in reverse order thinking that Batman 89 was the better movie. And then I realized that the, the problem with that line of thought, the little hiccup there, is that Batman Returns is absent of a crucial character, and that's the character played by Robert Wool, which is one of the worst things to ever be put in a Batman movie. You know, I'm sure there are folks that are fine with Robert Wool and his comedy and whatever, but he does not work in that movie. His character is obnoxious in that movie, and it really does. When you go back and watch that Batman 89, every time Robert Wool is on screen, you are like, man, oh man, where is Jack Nicholson? Where is Michael Keaton? Where is anyone else in this movie? Why am I in, you know, this Gotham news paper you know newsroom with robert wool hitting on kim basinger like it's just some of the most groan inducing stuff and you know what batman forever doesn't have any of that uh so i kind of lean towards batman uh or batman returns rather being the the better movie so the next movie i want to talk about is mr destiny now i could have picked any one of the james belushi masterpieces as i'll put it that you've covered on right. your show but mr destiny is the one that i think that everyone got right as as far as I mean, it is as bad as it gets, in my opinion, for a film. And uh, I think the principal has its moments. I mean, these are bad movies, but the principal has its moments. And oh, K- yeah. K-9 has its moments. And Mr. Destiny is just one of these films that and he's a miserable, miserable wretch. And you, you guys hit on that so accurately. Where does Mr. Destiny stand 
in the all the episodes that you've done uh, that feature James Belushi? Uh, it's got to be one of my favorites. Um, although I'd say things like the principal and taking care of business are up there a little more. Um, but uh, the thing about that movie is James Belushi doesn't work in most situations. Like a real solid like nine and a half times out of ten, he doesn't work in a movie. But it really doesn't work when he's like also just like a miserable kind of guy. Like there's what we call like full Belushi where he's just going like like fully cocked, like super confident, total like arrogant jerk character. And those are the movies where he totally shines. And in this movie, he, from what I remember, is, you know, just kind of like this sad sack loser with the car that's breaking down and this, that, and the other thing. And it's just like, man, I don't want to watch you as it is. I definitely don't want to watch you as like a sad jerk. At least be like a cocky jerk to me. He's got that whole odd oh, gee whiz. I don't have my cereal. Like I remember just watching this movie. I remember watching this movie when it came out, not in the theater, but when it came out on video. And right. even, even I think it was 91 or 92. I'm not sure when it came out, but I remember the this exact same reaction even back then and I just it's a movie I haven't seen in years and it's it's just not something I'm going to watch anytime soon even if it again it happens to be on TNT or, or any cable channel I'm changing the channel on that particular one. Oh yeah without a doubt I mean even like the later part of that movie where he's like super rich for whatever Michael Caine magic is happening in that movie and that's the other thing that I'm just remembering now is that's the movie where he's like trying to court Linda Hamilton or whatever and you know I just don't need to see him trying to be this like romantic schlub goofball too. That's the other part of it. Like I want my Belushi beer cracking, you know, hat backwards, just being a big loud mouth. Like I don't need to see him trying to suck up to some lady. The next movie I want to talk about is one that when I saw it come up on my iPad under the uh, We Hate Movies logo, I didn't believe my eyes. I swore that this is a joke and there's no way that this film existed. And I I broke my rule and I have that rule that if I haven't seen a movie that you're covering, I really seek it out. But I went ahead and listened to this episode because I couldn't believe it. And that's Easy Rider, The Ride Back. Now, <laughs> now... Yeah. That, I mean, we could spend an entire hour just talking about this film. Yeah. How were you introduced to this film? And please take me through your first <laughs> viewing of this film. So I don't do this often, but I will take full credit for finding that movie. Um, basically we were going through, it was the first year we were doing the worst of the previous year month. And, you know, I was, there's so many bad movies that come out theatrically and everything. And I was saying, man, it would be really cool if we found like a bad direct to DVD movie. And, you know, just kind of scouring the internet on different, uh, blogs and, and, you know, release review sites or whatever. I found mention of something called Easy Rider, the ride back. And I was like, well, that's kind of like this nostalgia inducing kind of title this just has to be like a bad making of dvd or some sort of retrospective look at easy rider and then when i went to imdb and searched it out more i was like oh wait a second no this is a movie oh that's weird and then i went and kind of did the wikipedia thing and got the backstory for what the movie was and was saying to myself like even if this isn't an episode necessarily i have to see what this is uh so i got the dvd and, you know, just watched it by myself one night and was just like sitting there on my couch, just feeling my blood boil. <laughs> just with the, the ignorance and the disrespect that this movie was, you know, put together with and like this complete, you know, this is something we talk about on the, on the show quite a bit, but just when someone 
completely misinterprets the message of a film. And it's even worse when that person then, you know, goes ahead and bastardizes it by making their own, you know, you know, fantasy sequel, uh, you know, based off of source material that they don't understand in the first place. It's just, it's one of the absolute worst things you can ever encounter. And the fact that it was a movie like Easy Rider that was being, you know, dragged through the mud like this, it was just infuriating. And so I showed it to the guys and they were all like, oh man, here it is. Here is our direct-to-DVD movie. This is, this is quite horrendous. I listened to the episode, jaw literally on the floor, just listening to you talk about what's happening in the film. You know, the, the reference to the sky was blue and, you know, just like on 9-11. I'm just, I'm saying, there's, I'm saying to myself, there's, there's no way they're, I, I, I'm not believing what you're saying. There's, there's no way what they're talking about is happening in this film. It can't be that crazy. So then I, I find the movie and I watch it. And one thing I can tell you after watching, I still didn't know what the hell was going on, even though you guys <laughs> very thoroughly explained the plot. There's so much going on in that film that I didn't know what the hell was going on. And you, you touched on one thing in that film that and it always bothered me a little bit. The fact that Rance Howard is in this movie after just being in Nebraska. Now, I know Easy Rider the Ryback was made a few years back, but I've always it sort of begs the question, how did he get into that film? Oh, man, I think that's just a question that's going to go unanswered. I mean, who knows what drives Rance Howard's acting career? Uh, no, I just felt bad for the guy when he popped up. He's, he rides up. It's clearly like a stunt double on that motorcycle looking all badass. And then it's like punch in to Rance Howard taking off a motorcycle helmet. Like, it's just the worst. And, you know, everybody's got to put food on the table. So who knows why, why he was in that movie. But, man, I just wish he was not in that movie. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing to be done about that no but that's a, that's a very op, uh, optimistic way of looking at that <laughs> let me ask you this have you watched the movie since you've done the episode absolutely not no no i mean but you've uh i'm sure do you own a copy of it i gave it away, gave it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that i i it's safe to say you know a lot of these movies that we do on the show like i'll go back to at some point like clearly i'll watch ghostbusters 2 a bunch of times you know before before my number is up but i probably unless it's in some sort of live we hate movies commentary setting and i had actually said this to the guys you know when we made the episode i said i would love to do a live show centered around this movie uh do a live riff of it um if it's not in any setting like that i will probably never see that movie again so that brings me to the the last movie that i want to talk about on the uh on my uh little whm episode breakdown and that is the episode that i've probably listened to the most because i find it one of the most fascinating hollywood stories and that is the boondock saints 2 all Saints Day. Right. Now, I'm in that camp of people that thinks the original Boondock Saints is not a very good movie, but I agree with what you what you said in the episode, that you understand why people like that film. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. I've probably watched it in its entirety three times since it came out in 2000. I will tell you the story. I didn't even... I wasn't following the Will the Boondock Saints 2 film be made. I actually happened to be watching a uh, Roger Ebert and uh, Richard Roper at the movies, and they just said, our next movie is Boondock Saints 2. And I was like, well, holy shit, I didn't even know this movie existed. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've got a couple questions for you before we talk about the actual film itself. Had you seen the documentary Overnight 
before you watch the Boondock Saints 2. I think I'm the only one on the cast of We Hate Movies that has not seen that yet. Everybody else is a big fan of, of that movie. Uh, I've just never gotten around to seeing it. And I feel like it'd be one of those things, and I, I know it would be, where I watch it and just kind of feel uncomfortable the whole time, which I guess is why I sort of have subconsciously avoided it. You know, it was on Netflix Instant for a really long time, and I just kind of skipped over it politely. Um, but the other guys have watched it and just talked about, you know, just how horrendous uh, he is as a person. Well, I'd love to tell you, I'd love to tell you that I'm the type, I'm the same type of person. Like I, I don't like uncomfortable situations, even in films, even if it's fiction, I get weirded out during the uncomfortable situations. Right. But I can tell you this as somebody who's seen overnight at least five times and it's on, it's, it's <laughs> in its entirety on YouTube. I watched it the other day. They just happened to oh, have it on there. Fantastic. Um, I can tell you this. This guy is such an asshole <laughs> that there is never that uncomfortable feeling that you're, that you're, I'm, that you're, you're, you're worried about having. Oh, like, cool. Perfect. From the very beginning. <laughs> from the first five minutes that this guy is on screen you're like this guy is he's as bad as it gets and you don't feel bad for him you're actually hurry up and let's get to the part where everything falls apart for him because i i've got to see this happen to this person i really have to see this okay so you haven't seen overnight yet i I hope that you'll get back to me just let me know your thoughts once you do eventually see it tell me about what you thought about the original boondock saints before you saw boondock saints 2 where, where did you stand in that camp I mean, when I first saw it in, in high school, you know, I was just like anybody else. I thought it was pretty cool. I think it's actually one of those movies that the amount of fandom that that movie wound up getting for itself, then maybe go back and sort of reevaluate it. Like, you know, it's one of those things like this many people can't be right about this movie, you know, and then sure enough, I kind of went back and was like, no, this is, this is not good. Uh, you know, I think at the time when I watched it, it was like all about the, the action. Like, Wow, cool gunfights and crime and they're swearing. That's cool. But then when you go back and you watch that movie, it's just like horrendously written and, you know, just who cares? I mean, they're just the worst. And it's a movie that takes itself so seriously. Like this is the second coming of whatever kind of folk hero nonsense they're trying to to put out on screen. And I was like, no, you know, and then I had... I had come around to that opinion before that second movie came out. So then by the time the second movie did come out, I was ready to uh, expect negative results from that sequel. And uh, I was not disappointed. But you, I, I imagine that you, uh, even even knowing how you feel about the original film, even you must have been a little bit shocked. The original Boondock Saints, to me, is a masterpiece compared to Boondock Saints 2. I, oh yeah, nothing, nothing can compare, uh, nothing can prepare you for, for what Boondock Saints 2 is. Uh, it's impossible. You could listen to our episode and then go watch it, and I don't think you could still be prepared. I mean, it's it's impossible. It is an insanely offensive movie. It's a movie that is so in love with itself, and this like you know myth that it feels it's created about these characters, and you know it's just like all those flashbacks with the the Rocco character you know just you know that it was like man once this flashback hits the screen that audience is gonna go nuts you know and you're just like man this is embarrassing and it's embarrassing for like you see people who are involved with it excited about it and excited to like potentially make a third one and you're like man just can everybody just stop being excited about the Boondock Saints maybe that's the way we should go. I mean, the best part 
I mean, actually, I should even say the best part because there's so many phenomenal parts of that episode you did on the on the Boondock Saints too. Is the references you would make about being in the theater during the premiere of the film? <laughs> And the chants yeah. would start in the back. Duffy, Duffy. I mean, that is, I mean, that is, that's just gold. I mean, that's pure gold. I just cannot get enough. And that's why I, I, I never want to single out an episode as my favorite because I, I really enjoy so many of them, but that one's got to be close to the top just for its, the level of comedy that is in that episode. Like it just, it's, you guys did an amazing job on that episode. And I just, I listen to it all at least once a week. I know that sounds crazy, but at least once a week. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm glad you like it. You know, we we got a we got a good response from people on that one. And you can you know, that's one of those movies or you know, one of those episodes, I guess, where while you're recording it, you just know, you know, okay, everyone here is firing on all cylinders. This is truly something fantastic. Uh you know, and and that's the reality of it is that's not the case all the time. Like sometimes we'll come off of a uh a recording and I'll kind of be down about it. And then it sort of takes the edit for me to realize, Oh no, actually this was totally fine. And I'm all in my head about it. Um, but that was a case where while we were recording, I was thinking like, man, this is, this is a lot of fun. We're not, we're not really struggling for anything here. This is all just kind of flowing out of us and it's totally, totally going to be a good time. Changing gears just for a moment here. Earlier episodes would start with a song that was usually relevant in some way to the film that was that you were about to talk to. Uh, when did you make the decision to go with an original theme song and how did you come to, how did that come to be? Uh, that happened when we moved over to Libsyn because they're very clear about not uh, using stuff you don't own at length. And it was kind of fortunate timing because we uh, had been thinking about that for a while. You know, one of the things that was sort of, uh, you know, sort of time consuming about cutting these episodes was I would sit there and try to think of something that would thematically link or there'd be some titular connection or something like that. And, you know, one time I, I seriously, I think I sat in front of YouTube for like an hour just struggling to find a song for something and was thinking the whole time like, man, if only we just had a theme song that I could take half a second to drop in. Wow, wouldn't that be fantastic? And so we finally uh, reached out to our friends in this band called Hurrah Bolt of Light that are uh, located here in New York. And, um, you know, they wrote us this this quick theme song, which is great. And, you know, we're totally happy with it and love using it on everything we do. And it's just, it's nice to have a signature thing that you can also, you know, we take it out on our, our live show and stuff like that. So it's sort of like something that when you hear it, you know, you know what's about to start sort of a thing, you know, the, the point of a theme song, I guess. Um, so, you know, there were, there were several reasons why, but it was all kind of like perfect time to do it when we moved to Libsyn. Getting back to, you had mentioned uh, a couple times during this conversation about the live shows. Can you tell me about the first live show you did and kind of talk about how often you do the live shows? And I know you mentioned that you had done a live show in Chicago. Uh, how far reaching have you gone and how far reaching will you would you like to go? So the first sort of live stuff I think we did was some, you know, shout at the screen type live riff stuff uh, at a place in Brooklyn called the Spectacle Theater. Uh, we did a couple of shows there um, and then we wound up playing the uh, the first year of the New York Podfest and that was at uh, an improv theater in Manhattan called the People's Improv theater which is a really really fantastic venue and we knew some folks there from our improv days and stuff and wound up 
uh, being able to secure some some live gigs there. So we've played there quite a bit, um, and those are more uh, just literally doing an a, an episode live in front of people. But we've kind of done, you know, we like doing both. We've done screenings of movies where we talk over it uh, and we've done you know just live episodes where it's the four of us behind a table just talking about a movie and then yeah you know as far as where we'd like to play we'd like to play everywhere you know it's just a matter of time and and resources and things like that the chicago trip worked because i was out there for for uh burns related reasons actually i was going out to a film festival and um our you know friends that i mentioned adam and justin run a theater out there and i said hey you know i'm gonna be staying at your place anyway let's just do a show um so that's sort of just what that was but uh yeah you know we, sh- we got a show coming up in march in cambridge massachusetts and you know it's just it's something we try to plan for more and more and it's just you know it's like anything else if we can figure out available days and ways to afford to you know buy gas money or car rentals or plane fare or whatever it is but you know we you know we understand that we've got listeners all over the place and you know we love being able to get out there and chat with people that listen to the show and everything like that so we never say never with stuff like that it's just a matter of trying to figure out the feasibility of it now uh, before we close out there's a little segment we do whenever we a little segment I do whenever I interview guests on the show it's called the uh, the rapid fire slash overrated round now okay. i'm going to ask you give you two options you just pick which option you go with and there's no wrong answer here and this is for the rapid fire round so the first question is iphone or android iphone okay next question is xbox or playstation i've only ever owned an xbox so <laughs> xbox it is xbox it is okay a books or audiobooks? Books. There you go. Okay. Now, I really feel like I know the answer to this next question based on our conversation, but Star Trek or Star Wars? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, Trek, man. Okay. And then I'm going to follow that question up with, you did an f- amazing episode on Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Tell me how you're feeling about this upcoming Star Wars with the J.J. Abrams directing. I am psyched for this movie. Uh, I'm really, really excited for it. Funny enough, actually, we were just watching an episode of The Daily Show that aired a couple of days ago and, and Oscar Isaac was on and, you know, John Stewart was doing all he could to just not talk about anything but Star Wars. And, uh, you know, he asked him some stuff about it. And I think the biggest thing that's come out of that interview and other interviews with people that have either, you know, filmed the movie or JJ himself is that, you know, he is really taking a return back to practical effects for a lot of it. Uh, so that's got me really excited. You know, I just like anybody else in that teaser trailer when the Falcon, you know, jumps up into the frame it just gets that little feeling in your belly you know uh so I'm, I'm i'm totally excited for it i'm totally on board with what they're doing now speaking of star trek for a moment uh give me your impressions on the two jj abrams directed star trek films and your thoughts on the fact that he will not be on board for the third star trek film i like those abrams movies i really do i have you know my my issues with them but i mean especially with the second one i really did not uh you know have all the problems that everybody did with benedict cumberbatch playing con um you know it's kind of it's the same joke i was just making the other day about uh, this new Ghostbusters movie, you know, it's it's never a thing where and actually Nathan Rabin from The Dissolve had a really interesting article about this uh, last week. This idea of like your childhood entertainment is not a sacred thing. And, you know, I made the joke about uh, the Ghostbusters movie last night. And it's the same for Star Trek Into Darkness, which is that, you know, just because there's a movie that's out where Benedict Cumberbatch is playing uh, playing Khan, you know, 
that doesn't mean that J.J. Abrams came to my house, took my Wrath of Khan Blu-ray off my shelf and broke it over his knee. You know, and it's it's the same thing with Ghostbusters, right? Like Paul Feig is not coming to my house and burning my Ghostbusters 84 in front of me. Like it's not happening. Like there's no reason to be upset because people do things differently. Like it's okay to not like something or be disappointed with it, but just to be outright mad that someone dared have the audacity to whatever, whatever you're about to complain about. Like I just don't see it that way. And, you know, I, I admit to being in the theater, I didn't have anything spoiled for me. I had my suspicions watching Into Darkness. Um, and, you know, when it was revealed that he was con, there was like a split second where I was like, oh, man. And then I thought, don't do it. Like, give this guy a chance. And honestly, I, I do like Star Trek Into Darkness. I do. I have no problem with it. And as far as the, the third movie not being directed by J.J., I think that's totally the way to go. I think these kinds of things benefit from a little bit of, you know, mix up here and there. Uh, so whoever it is, they finally get to, you know, sign on to direct it. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be entertained by it in some way or another. I can't necessarily say that I'll be guaranteed to like it because that's just kind of having blind faith in somebody, but I'm excited about it. I look, I, I like Star Trek and I like Star Wars. If you're going to make more of it, I'll I'll at least check it out. That's I mean that's perfect. That was a that was, that was brilliant actually. So that was brilliant. <laughs> so so this is going to bring us to what I call the overrated section. And this is just five films that are cemented in pop culture. And I just want to know if you personally think the film is overrated. You have three possible answers: yes, no, or pass. The first movie is is Forrest Gump overrated? Yes. Okay, excellent. Is Fight Club overrated? Uh, I, that's tough because it's one of those movies that people watch the wrong way. So in a way, even though I think, uh, no, it's a yes. And I can, I can actually show some work on why this is a yes. It's because, uh, in New York City in the East Village, there is a bar. This bar is called Durden's. And inside Durden's is a bunch of stupid, silly fight club shit all over the place. <laughs> and this person is a person who has clearly watched that movie the wrong way. Uh, so yeah, to a degree, Fight Club is totally overrated. Okay. So the next, next move film is, is Pulp Fiction overrated? No. Is Avatar overrated? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you want to uh, speak a little bit more on that? It is, you know, it's funny because it was a movie that when it came out, we were all kind of gaga over the tech, um, you know, myself included. Uh, it was, I hadn't really been going in for the 3D stuff. And then I saw that and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then the next day, I remember hearing someone someplace say that that movie changed their life. And I thought, well, that's a pretty silly thing to say. Uh, and I think clear, I mean, that was like what, 2009. So we're like six years out on this thing. Guarantee you that movie doesn't hold up. Uh, and if anything, if it's a thing where now Cameron is trying to like make this, these sequels in like 65 frames a second or whatever he's talking about trying to do. I mean, it's just, it's an overrated movie. Did you happen to see The Hobbit in the, uh, was it 48 frames per second? I did. I told this story on the show a couple weeks ago. I was, uh, yeah, I went to see it because there was Star Trek Into Darkness footage. If you went to the 
high frame rate 3D, which I didn't want to do. I knew it was going to be terrible. But again, you know, this day, you know, these days I'm 30 years old. I'm out of the closet as far as being a Star Trek fan goes. So I was like, you know, fuck it, man. I'm going to go check it out. And I waited out in the cold in betwixt people that were dressed up like hobbits and wizards and speaking fake languages that they have no business knowing how to speak. And, uh, you know, I saw my Star Trek footage and then that movie started and I was like, man, I am just watching a three hour video game cutscene. And it was, the absolute worst experience I've ever seen uh, a movie be for me. It's not the absolute worst movie I've seen in a theater. It's not the absolute worst movie ever made. It's the absolute worst movie-going experience I've ever had in my life is the high-frame-rate 3D Hobbit. I mean, again, this was, I mean, it wasn't available where I'm at in Florida. Or, I mean, it was, but I wasn't prepared to drive three hours to, to Tampa to go see it in high-frame yeah, rate. Yeah, you made the right call. Yeah, no, um, I just, <laughs> I, I just, I, I, but there's part of me that just wants to see what that looks like i just have to know now like i have to know because i've heard so much negative talk about it and i just you know you just you want to know i gotta know what it looks like but yeah it's i I can see that curiosity for sure the closest thing i can relate it to is uh and i i don't do this but i know a lot of people that do do this with podcasts that they listen to do you ever listen to a podcast like on like a one and a half speed kind of a thing i I personally haven't i'm i've well not intentionally occasionally sometimes i'm listening to it but then i'm like oh this doesn't sound right but never but i do you're right there are people that that's how they grind through podcasts is on a one and a half speed so like that kind of like manic feel your ears get like that sort of manic feel is what your eyes get while watching high frame rate nonsense happen on screen and in 3d as well well now i mean that was the thing too is it's hard enough to make 3d good High frame rate 3D. I mean, it just makes everything look even worse. So it was, it's, it's horrendous. It was a terrible decision that they made. So the last, the last film on the overrated question is, is The Dark Knight Rises overrated? No, as a matter of fact, I think that movie's a little underrated. I, I better agree with you 100% on that, by the way. I just, uh, that, yeah. It, it came yeah. out versus the Avengers, and I will take The Dark Knight Rises every day of the week over The Avengers. Not saying The Avengers is a bad movie by any means, but I like to hear you, your thoughts on The Dark Knight Rises a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I, I would kind of agree with you about that with, uh, you know, comparing it to Avengers like that. Um, I think the thing was, and this I think is a larger problem with a lot of movie going, more like big budget movie movie going is that we're so and this you know, it applies to star trek and i'm sure it's going to apply to this new star wars movie too is that to a degree and i've been saying this for a while now i think that we have kind of forgotten how to have fun at the movies a little bit and you know i think that comes from the fact that you know everyone's got a blog now everyone's putting movie reviews on tumblr or using letterboxd or tweeting and putting stuff out on facebook about movies so we're in this like hyper critical age right now where everybody has something to say and everybody is looking for something to tear something down for and you know i will be the first to tell you that the dark knight rises isn't a flawless movie there's actually a lot of things about it that are i find kind of silly or bad marion cotillard's death shake that she has in that movie is one of the silliest things i've ever seen you know i kind of chuckled in the theater when that happened and you know that ending you know the very very ending there like you know maybe we should just end on beautiful old Michael Caine and not see what he's looking at. I think that's kind of the smart decision. But in the grand scheme of things, um, that's a totally fun movie. And I had fun watching it. And I sort of don't feel the need to kind of like 
pick it apart. And yeah, I, I feel the same way about Interstellar. And I, it's it's odd because there are people that argue that Christopher Nolan brings this on himself uh, because they argue that he will claim to be this like very heady filmmaker or something like that. But I think it's actually the opposite. It's that he just happens to be kind of a smart guy that makes these very adventurous movies. And it appears that he's this you know, pretentious suit wearing so-and-so just because when you look at the crop of stuff that you have to compare him to, uh, you know, it's kind of like those guys that will say things like, oh yeah, college boy, you know, like <laughs> that kind of mentality. And it's, we've turned it into a weird, like, oh yeah, show me. Oh yeah, impress me kind of a thing. At the end of the day, like, I was really impressed by Interstellar. You know, I was really impressed by The Dark Knight Rises. I can't make The Dark Knight Rises. Like, come on. You know, you'll get to see We Are Strangers later this year. I can't make The Dark Knight Rises. Um, so, you know, that, you know, all that said, like, I, I hope for a day when you know we're kind of okay with just like kicking back at the movies again you know and at, at the same time though i think it's it's sort of also problematic because i am tired of the comic book movies and i'm tired of all the superhero stuff and the sequels and the adaptations and the reboots and the whatevers but you know as long as that's what's coming out you know i'm not going to take it so seriously i am going to acknowledge that at the end of the day i'm watching a movie about a man dressed up as a bat fighting a man with a voice modulator over his mouth like you know why why are we letting so many feathers get ruffled i guess is my ultimate question you know i mean i just kind of enjoy being stupid in a big dark air-conditioned room for a while uh with with my show how is this movie what what i try to do is sort of just tell the story behind the story of you know some beloved films and i i really try not to get into the whole review part of it because you're right i remember as a teenager in the mid 90s going to the movies was was a fun experience and i would go to the movies every weekend with my friends we didn't text we didn't have phones i mean it was just, and I, I, I think you're absolutely, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Everybody, we live in this super social media world where everyone's opinion, all of a sudden, they want it to matter. And uh, that was very well said, and I appreciate you, you laying it out like that. Oh, thank so, you. Before we close out, I want you to just, for people that don't know, you have an app. You have a We Hate Movies app. I've, I downloaded it a while ago. Uh there's a lot of exclusive content on there. Where can people find that app? So there's basically two ways. One way is really simple and one way is really annoying. Uh, the simple way is you can go to Amazon uh, or the Google Play Store and just download it. Uh, if you have an iOS device, however, you have to download a free podcast aggregator app which is called podcast box uh so if you go to the itunes store and you buy or you download for free rather podcast box uh then once you open podcast box you can search for we hate movies and you can pick up our app that way if you have an iphone or a ipad or whatever that was the way i did it so <laughs> when you said what, it's just i mean said, i don't know we said one way was why they <laughs> sorry go yeah, ahead i'm sorry no i i don't know why it is set up that way it's the absolute worst thing i remember like doing it on my iphone when we released it and i was like oh jesus like i know i can see it already the emails we're going to be getting about this and it's they're justified i will say though that we don't have any control over that sure. so if your listeners wind up having beef with that uh right into libsyn because they're they're the folks that design that stuff i so. remember when i first downloaded it i was like oh okay podcast box okay no problem got it got it okay we hate movies no problem no problem 
paid the what I think it, I think it was only two dollars. Is that correct? Yeah, dollar ninety nine. Dollar ninety nine. Paid the dollar ninety. No, no problem, no problem. And then deleted it by accident because I didn't even know what I, <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. It's like that's okay. It's, I'll, I'll get it again. It's well worth it. So, uh, what about Bandcamp? You've got a Bandcamp page. What can people find on your Bandcamp page? So the Bandcamp thing started because I mean there were some people that just flat out did not want to pick up this app for one reason or another. And hey, that's cool. That's your thing. Um, so we put the Bandcamp page up and basically any, uh, app exclusive episode is also featured there, but you know, it's a individual download thing. So, you know, two bucks for a one-time app download versus shooting us 250 every time a bonus episode comes out, you know, whatever. Uh, but it's for, it's for people for one reason or another that just either didn't want the app or couldn't get the app. It's just another way for people to get the, the exclusive content that's not on the main feed. We've talked about your website with whmpodcast.com. The Twitter feed, is, excuse me, the Twitter handle is? Uh, at whmpodcast. And then if they, if people want to follow you on Facebook, what's the best way for them to do that? That is facebook.com slash we hit movies. Okay. Now, the last question before we before we close it out i actually have a a good friend of our of how is this movie his name is ben pritchard he's a huge fan of your show and i was talking to him last night and i mentioned to him that uh that i was going to be talking to you and he he wanted me to ask you a question but and and i told him i would definitely ask you this question unfortunately i feel like we've already covered it and you've already answered it but because ben because I promised him I would ask it. Was there ever a movie that you loved that somebody else brought up and said we should do this movie? And you said you, and you said you've mentioned that this is a very democratic process. Have you ever vetoed a movie? And can you re- recall a specific film in, in, in question? Hmm. Have I ever vetoed? Yeah. I mean, I, I have. I, I don't recall specifically something that I've said. Yeah. I don't think it's an episode. Uh, you know, we all have. And the, and the thing about it is, you know, we just kind of decided from the beginning, like, you know, there's a wealth of movies out there. There's no reason to kind of sit around fighting over wanting to do an episode on something. Cause then also by the time you get to record it, someone knows that someone didn't want to do it. So it's not really going to, you know, you're not going to really go in with the highest energy level kind of a thing. Um, so yeah, you know, I have, we all have, I don't, I don't recall any specific titles that I've, I've flat out vetoed. I don't think we've all done it, but, uh, yeah, I can't recall any off, offhand that I've, personally shot down and i guess i know i said that was the last question but this one just popped into my head sure uh, a couple of years ago you did a, a a sort of look at the oscars you looked at uh you kind of went back and you looked at films like 2005's crash and you know you oh talk, yeah, yeah oh i mean that's my jaw hit the floor on when that when you, you said it perfectly when jack nicholson went crash like he was just shocked yeah. um, you, you know and that that more than anything should tell you something because in that you know 2005 by the time 2005 rolls around if you're shocking nicholson yeah. you you did something extraordinary two things one i'd love for you guys to do another episode like that because that i had a lot of fun listening to that but the question is with the oscars just a couple of weeks away do you have a prediction for best picture ooh for best picture um you know i i really was flat out floored by boyhood i think it's a phenomenal movie i mean i'm slightly biased because i love richard linklater uh you know i actually tweeted a couple days ago that i think that he's the greatest filmmaker of his generation and you know one of the greatest filmmakers working today um so you know i'm i'm rooting for boyhood i'm always rooting for richard linklater would not be surprised if they they toss it to harvey in the imitation game uh so i want to take 
again, I, I just want to say, uh, Andrew, I really appreciate you coming on. How is this movie? I've mentioned it many times in many episodes that uh, your podcast is was the first one I ever listened to. It continues to be my favorite podcast. To be able to actually come full circle and and talk to you has just been it's been a treat. And I just want to say thank you so much. Hey, you know, thanks for having me, Dana. This was a lot of fun. It's cool to hear stuff like that. Uh, you know, certainly when, like I said, we accidentally started the show five years ago, uh, didn't think anything like this would be coming out of it. So I'm, I'm happy that you were able to benefit uh, from We Hate Movies in that way. So for everybody listening, uh, my name is Dana Buckler. I want to thank you for uh, joining us on this very special episode of How Is This Movie? And I will talk to you soon.